What a joy. What a wonder. Christmas time. Isn't it great? We pray that our nation would be gripped with the joy of the Lord. The joy of Christmas. But sadly, as a nation, just this past September, we marked a horrible anniversary. The war on terror. As a nation, we have been at war now since 2001. And interestingly and sadly, over 50 million Americans, almost 15% of our population have been born during this war, this war season, this war time. They don't know a nation at peace. As citizens of this nation, they know a, a nation at war. It's the longest running war that we've ever had as a nation. And on the world stage, we hear reports of Russia threatening the Ukraine with war and China threatening Taiwan with war. There are wars and the rumors of wars, and that's the collective experience of humanity. Well, as we consider the gift of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the gift of all gifts, we must realize, however, that there has been another war going on that's much longer, the longest running war in the history of the world. It's been going on since the fall, and that's the war between God and fallen, rebellious, sinful humanity. But God so loved the world that He gave His Son, His only Son, the Prince of Peace. His name is above every name. He is the King of glory as we have sung. Well, that's been our theme for Advent, Jesus, the name above all names, We've seen the truth of that as we have heard messages about Jesus Christ as the truth of God and the love of God, that He's the glory of God. And now this morning we're confronted with the truth that He is the shalom of God. His name means peace. We're going to see that from Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6 and Luke chapter 2 verse 14. His name is peace the Prince of Peace. He's the promised one who was promised right at the very first preaching of the Gospel in Genesis 3 when Adam and Eve rebelled and fell into sin. The Lord proclaimed the truth of the coming one. The promised one. The seed of the woman would come forth to destroy the seed of the serpent and bring peace. And this was prophesied by Isaiah 700 years before the Incarnation And it was republished by the the angel and the angels on that night in Bethlehem and the the hills surrounding Bethlehem as they confronted the, the shepherds. So hear God's Word. Isaiah 9, 6 and Luke 2, 14. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom He is pleased. Let's pray. Oh Lord Almighty, we desperately need to have Your Spirit open up the eyes of our hearts that we would behold the glory of Your gift of peace 
in the gift of your Son, our Savior, Jesus. We pray it in his name and for the sake of his church. Amen. Well, that's the first thing that we need to see this Lord's Day morning. We need to behold the provision of peace. That's what we're confronted with here in these verses, the provision of divine peace. What a great comfort it was to hear this message, this proclamation of peace announced by the angels that Christ the Lord, the Prince of Peace, has come. The provision of of divine peace. That's what we all need. We need the gift of Jesus. And you know, the needs of humanity haven't changed from the very beginning. From the fall, we need true peace, peace with God. We need to be blessed by this peace, the provision of peace. And this announcement of peace, it presumes the reality of the lack of peace, doesn't it? There is no peace. The unrest and the brokenness of man's relationship with God and and with himself and with others, it's all around us. There's unrest, there's turmoil that exists everywhere throughout the generations. Brokenness, no peace. The Lord Jesus was born into the midst of all manner of turmoil and perilous times, wasn't he? Wars and rumors of wars, the great pagan empire of Rome crushing the ancient world with their power, and there was this wicked ruler, Herod the Great, great at wickedness, ruling over Judea, who would murder hundreds and maybe even thousands of baby boys once he heard about the birth of Christ. Just think of all the satanic attacks upon the people of God, perilous times, no peace. Jesus came into that. And these are perilous times. Today we live in perilous times. We find ourselves in the midst of, of no true peace in this world apart from God. And people, people don't really long for true divine peace. Not in and of ourselves. Not in our broken sinful hearts. We don't really want peace with God. We don't really want gospel peace. Certainly, The world longs for an inner peace or perhaps a worldly peace, but not gospel peace. And Isaiah needed to learn this truth just like the shepherds and just like all of us that we must have the eyes of our hearts opened up to the reality of God's gracious provision of peace because by our very nature we're sinners. We're at enmity with the Lord. We're at enmity even in our own hearts with ourselves. We are at enmity with others around us and we show it by our actions and our inactions. We're at enmity with broken-hearted men and women all around us. That's the nature of humanity apart from Christ, apart from the gospel. It's a a world filled of, of brokenness and hostility. We have the battle of the sexes. We have brokenness and and enmity in the home between husbands and wives and in the marketplace. In the airport, have you been to the airport recently? No peace. No peace in the workplace. It's all around us, the brokenness of humanity. We must have our eyes open to see the great reality of our need of peace But this gift of peace, the provision of God's peace, it's the only thing that can truly save and sanctify and change us. It's the thing that comes forth and makes our lives new vertically with our relationship with God and horizontally with our relationship with each other and internally with our relationship with self. 
And certainly eternally, as we go forth into eternity to come as God's people. Well, the Lord of love, He knew what we needed. And His plan all along was to provide the Prince of Peace. And every human being needs to be confronted with the gift of true peace. Because that's what we desperately need. Even as the world shuts out that truth, that's what we need. And that's the message that runs through the Scriptures. From Genesis 3 all the way to the end of the Bible, through Isaiah 9, through Luke 2, the very first Christmas, all the way to the end, the provision of peace. Hallelujah! The Prince of Peace has come. The Lord is indeed the wonderful Counselor. He is the mighty God. He is the everlasting Father. He is the Prince of Peace. And what Isaiah saw coming and what he proclaimed is what the angels proclaimed, that at just the right time, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem sinners under the law, the Prince of Peace. We need to see the glorious person and nature and work of this Prince. That's our, our second main point. We must behold the person and the work of divine peace. We must see the reality of this gift of peace, what he's like, what his character's like, what he does, who he is, his nature, his actions, his labors, his love and motion. The Prince of Peace is a servant, and not just a servant, but the servant. That's what the the angels herald, that's what Isaiah heralded. Emmanuel, the gift of God, the Prince of Peace, he serves his people. He came forth to be the great servant of peace. And we must be served if we're going to know peace because we can't get it on our own. In Christ the Lord, he comes forth and serves us as the royal Prince of Peace, as the greater David, as the one fit to bring forth this peace. This is why we desperately need the incarnation for peace. The glory and the wonder that we have one born from woman without sin, not fallen in Adam, and yet a son of God. Human beings have been created in the image of God. We've been given life to serve the Holy One of Israel. We've been given life to serve the Holy One through reflecting His image back to Him and to this world, to this universe. And the reality, though, is that the sons and daughters of Adam and Eve, tainted by sin, we don't reflect back the holy image of God. We don't reflect it as we should through our godly thoughts and actions and words and emotions and will set forth before the world. No, we reflect something differently. We reflect brokenheartedness and sin. We don't conform ourselves perfectly to the holy law of the Lord and holy love. We don't reflect the glory of God. And God's Word says that sinners are alienated and hostile towards the Lord. In our minds, shown forth in our deeds and in our actions, because the human condition is spiritual deadness. Oh, the tragedy of the fall, the calamity of the fall. It's not simply a spiritual wound, but it's a mortal wound. Spiritual deadness. And this is why we don't have to teach our children how to be bad. They come forth knowing this, just as we were. 
dead in sins. Unfortunately, we make excuses for ourselves that, well, we're only human. But Paul declares over all of humanity by the Word of God, for all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God and the wages of sin is death and fallen humanity suppresses the truth about God and unrighteousness. That's the bad news. But the good news is the Lord has a heart of mercy. So Emmanuel comes. God with us. The heart of this gospel joy, the Prince of Peace, bone of our bone, flesh of our flesh, to come forth as our servant, to serve us in our needs. And by His obedience, the many will be made righteous. So on this last Lord's Day before Christmas Eve, I ask you, who, who serves you? Who is it that serves you? You know, some look to the government to serve them or others to family, but there's only one who can serve you perfectly and bring you peace as the Savior. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, to offer His life as a ransom for many. In this Christmas, we also must behold the uniqueness of His labors as the servant who's the Savior we've already sung of to the glory of God. The Prince of Peace is a Savior. The Prince of Peace, Emmanuel, is our saving King. He's a saving peace because He's the suitable servant. He's the royal prince. He's Christ the King, the Savior. You see, the only reason that we can know joy at Christmas time or any day of the year is because the Lord Jesus Christ, as our servant and our Savior, with a destiny pointing Him towards the cross, towards the pain and the shame of Golgotha and the brokenness because of our sins. He's the servant who saves us by suffering. The mystery of the gospel. As Isaiah declared in Isaiah 53, Surely He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds were healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Christ our servant king serves us and saves us by making peace through the glory and the mystery and the wonder of his sacrifice. The lion of Judah, the king, came forth as a lamb to be sacrificed upon the cross so that through his blood we're reconciled to God, to know peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, the costliness of this sacrifice you know, if you think about it as a nation at war with terror, we have known the cost, haven't we? Over these past 20 years, the cost of all the lives of our soldiers, all the blood, all the resources, all the pain, and yet still no peace. When we consider the, the peace of Christ and the sacrifice of Christ, True peace and eternal peace with holy God cost an eternal sacrifice. A cost beyond our understanding. 
no one can measure it. Only the Prince of Peace can save us. Only the Prince of Peace can pay our sin debt to a holy and eternal God. But hallelujah, He's our peacemaker. He's our suffering, serving, saving King. So who serves you? Who saves you? We all need to be served. We all need to be saved. If it's Christ the Lord, then you have the greatest joy. The greatest joy in the Prince of Peace. And it begins even here and now in the mystery of the gospel at work in our hearts. Because this Prince of Peace, He not only serves us and saves us, but He shepherds us. And that's what we need to behold with eyes. The eyes of the heart opened by the Holy Spirit. This Prince of Peace brings a shepherding peace. What a gift in the midst of this hostile and crazy world. He shepherds us. We all need a good shepherd. We know that deep down. We all need a good shepherd, and we can't shepherd ourselves. And Jesus declares to his sheep, to his people, he declares, peace I leave you, my peace I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled or afraid. You see, the Lord calls us to walk in the power and the glory of this gift of peace that he brings. Even in the midst of a hostile and broken world, he comes and and he whispers the promise to our hearts as his people, don't be afraid. I'm with you. I go before you. I go behind you. I go with you. I am in you by my Spirit. You see, if your heart has experienced the glory and the joy and the wonder and the mystery and the miracle of becoming a manger for the Lord to inhabit, you know this shepherding peace. You know the glory of the reality That your heart is now a living tabernacle to the Lord and the good shepherd is in you and moves with you wherever you go. What an amazing peace. And of course, this peace is not the absence of problems or the absence of pain. But true peace, since it's a person and a relationship that's with us, it's The one who goes with us through all of life's problems. The hardest ones. And it's so sad as we consider the the world around us with the fake commercialized Christmas, with all the fake peace. It'll soon be over. This charade that we play as a nation somehow trying to pluck the glory of the gospel out of Christmas. You know, we'll have to take the lights down. We'll have to drag the tree out of the house and throw it on the burn pile and then clean up all those needles. The Christmas foods will be gone, but the holiday weight will be there. And then we're going to have to go back to our frustrating, hard lives in this crazy world filled with sin and hostility and brokenness. And the world and the flesh and the devil will tempt us to despair. Seek for peace in anything other than Christ. Seek for it in in wealth and health and relationships and success and status and beauty and accomplishments. But none of these things can bring true peace. They're fake because they're not the creator God of the universe in Christ. But you see, for those who've taken hold of God's holy gift of holy peace, 
who has come to serve us perfectly and save us perfectly. He shepherds our hearts through the days of our lives. He's with us. This peace comes in the face of loss. Even for our sister Jamie at the loss of Hugh. The flesh and the world tempt us to despair that we, we've lost and we'll never get again. But Christ comes, the shepherding Prince of Peace, and He says, you don't mourn as the world does without hope. You mourn in me and with me, and my promises are yes and amen. This is the peace that flows from being served and saved and shepherded. This is the peace that surpasses all understanding for God's people. This is the peace that flows like a river from the the throne of God above and fills our hearts. This peace is miraculous and amazing. And that's our final thought. We must behold the peculiar nature of divine peace. It's staggering. It's mysterious. It's peculiar. This divine peace. You know, the lone angel who came forth on that dark night republishing Isaiah's prophecy, he did so at the fulfillment of Christ's coming and then he was joined with the heavenly host for the great finale. It must have been amazing for those shepherds. When all of a sudden the the sky was lit up with angels, a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men and women who are objects of God's good pleasure. That's the actual literal Greek translation. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men and women who are objects of God's good pleasure. You know, that doesn't really fit on a Hallmark card, does it? It's too long. It's too wordy. It's ironic, isn't it? Because the peace that Christ brings certainly doesn't begin with peace ruling in all the hearts of men. As we've said, even not long after Christ's coming, Herod murdered Hundreds, if not thousands, of baby boys. And well, here we are, 2,000 years after this gift of divine peace, and, and babies are still being murdered. What kind of peace is this? What are the angels heralding? This isn't the hallmark version of peace. And we have to behold the mystery of this. It's not generic peace on all the earth and in all the hearts. No, it's peculiar. And it's ultra specific. You see, gospel peace brings peace between some sinners and holy God. Gospel peace brings the God of righteousness, the righteous judge, and unrighteous people together. Some unrighteous people. It's very specific. This peace that's declared is for the redeemed. For those who are not guilty, it's a justifying peace. This is what the angelic host is praising God for. It's not a peace for those that God foresees down the corridors of history that will try a little harder than the next person. It's 
not a peace for those that God foresees down the corridors of history that somehow muster up the faith to believe. No, this is the peace that comes because of God's good pleasure alone and that he spreads his mercy on those in Christ that he's well pleased to give it to. The glory of the gospel, of, of God's sovereign grace, it leaves us without excuse, should stagger us. Divine peace upon those that the Lord is well pleased to give the gift of Christ, the second Adam, the true Israel, the Holy One. This is amazing. The gift of divine peace is based upon God's good pleasure alone. This Greek word, eudokia, God's good pleasure, it flows forth from the Old Testament word chesed, his steadfast love. His steadfast, loving, faithful, kind love because of his grace. Gracious poured out upon those that he has given to the Son of Peace. Amazing. God's gracious pleasure can rest upon His people as His covenant possession in Christ the Lord because God is love. The gospel's a wonder. And we need to have the eyes of our, our hearts open to the truth of this. We need to have our stony hearts made soft to receive the truth of this that we might give praise to the Lord. Do you know this? The joys of God's gospel provision of peace, the servant of peace, the savior of peace, and the shepherd of peace. Well, then we need to know there's nothing to do save receive this peace. That's the application. We must receive this peace. What more can we do? Only with open hands and an open heart, Lord. I want this peace, this great peace that you've given in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Receive the peace of Christ. Call upon his name. And as you do, we must rejoice in this peace. Isn't that the other application? What more can we do but rejoice and worship? Worship the Lord God Almighty, glory to God in the highest for the gift of the Prince of Peace, the King who comes forth humble and lowly as a babe to be raised and grow up in the perfection of all the law and to go to the cross for our sins, to go forth to the grave and death and then to be raised forevermore and ascend on high. We must worship the Prince of Peace. We receive it. We rejoice. Do you rejoice? Are you here today because of duty or is it delight to give your heart to the Lord? The joys of forgiveness, the joys of being declared righteous, the, jo the joys of being part of God's family, the wonder of it all. Well, the final application is we must reflect this peace. And if this is true for you, you have to. There's no other thing you can do because you're an object of His grace. Think about this. When our identity is not dependent upon our own merit or our own labors or the world's perception of our value, 
And our joy is not dependent upon the approval of others or the acceptance of others, but only and ultimately the perfect merit and labors and love and acceptance of the Lord of the universe in the resurrected Savior who is the Prince of Peace. You must, you can't do anything but reflect this peace. For Jesus Christ is the Prince of Peace and He calls you and transforms you to be an ambassador for peace in your heart, in your home, in your church, and in this world. The glories of the Prince of Peace. Well, on our journey with the Lord, He's given us this supper of peace. Oh, the the riches and the wonders of the gospel of God's grace and the gift of this means of grace, the Lord's Supper. We need to be reminded that the Lord's Supper is it's not a, a sacrifice. It's not a re-sacrifice of Jesus on an altar. No, this is a feast for faith. And in that, it is a sacrifice of praise because of Christ. He is sacrificed once for His people. And we need to be reminded that this supper is a a covenant renewal feast. And this is so important because we've blown it every day this past week over and over again. And the world and the flesh and the devil come and say, ha, there's no peace for you with Christ because you're a sinner, you hypocrite Christian. And we come to the supper, this covenant renewal feast, and the Lord says, no, no, no. Where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. I am yours and you are mine. Be renewed in this covenant of love at the feast. And as we do that, we remember. It's a memorial feast. We remember the costliness of the gospel, the painful, shameful death of Christ upon the cross for our ugly sins. We remember and we stand in awe of the Lord. And as we do, this is a memorial feast of love that is a communion feast. We commune with the triune God of the universe and with the body of Christ. We eat and drink together in this koinonia, this fellowship meal of love, this peace meal. And as we do that, it's a proclamation feast. Do you realize that? This is doxological evangelism. For we're told that as often as we eat and drink this feast, we declare the Lord, His death and His resurrection till His coming. We declare to the world as we gather and worship and feast that the Lord is coming. Taste and see that the Lord is good. And we need to be reminded finally that this is a sacramental feast. It's a sign and a seal of God's covenant of grace. It's a sign and a seal of the righteousness of faith that He gives to us as a gift, sealing Christ to our hearts. So that as we eat and drink by faith, we have Christ's promises pressed ever deeper into our consciousness so that we know the Lord loves us all the more. And that's why this great meal, this peace meal, comes with great warnings. It's for believers in the Lord Jesus Christ alone, those trusting in Him for salvation and life alone, for those coming to the Lord with sincere faith, Sincere repentance. It's not for unbelievers. It's for everyone who names the name of the Lord. If you're a member of, of any evangelical church in good standing, we say, come to the feast. 
Come and sup with us and with the Lord. But if you're not a believer, we ask that you let the elements pass you by and consider you need the only true servant to bring peace, the only true Savior that brings peace, that shepherds His people. And for the children that are not yet communing members of our body, we say, don't take the Lord's Supper. But remember, you have unfinished business with the Lord. You can't stay in this state forever. He calls to you. And if you're ready to make your stand with the Lord and to make a public profession of faith, the elders are ready to hear it. But this is for the Lord's people to be renewed and refreshed and nourished and sustained as we live in this crazy world in the grips of gospel peace. Let's pray and go to the table. Oh, Lord Almighty, we worship you and we praise you and we thank you so much for the gift of Christ, the Prince of Peace. And, oh, Lord, we thank you for this means of grace, the the Lord's Supper that nourishes us spiritually. And we ask, Lord, that by your Holy Spirit you would, in fact, feed our hearts. We're weary. We're tired. We need our faith to be strengthened. We need to have the eyes of our hearts opened all the wider to see the, the glory of the gospel that we would see through the craziness and the brokenness of this world to the hope of heaven. Oh Lord, do that amazing work even now. We pray. We thank you for these common elements that you have blessed us with, that you have set apart as holy things, bread and the fruit of the vine. And we pray, oh Lord, that you would do your great work in this time as we sup with you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.